Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. This is my wife of four years on the other side of the microphone, Liberty. And we're a couple with vastly different interests who are trying to bring the other person to the dark side via the news in books and sports. Which one's the dark side? I always sports, wonder. Sports, obviously. Oh, okay. And for book news, we have a decent amount of it this week. It turns out that Reese Witherspoon is turning the book Where the Crawdads Sing into a movie. A book about crawdads? It's just the title of it. It's a murder mystery by Delia Owens, and it was a Reese book club pick in September of 2018. And now her production company, Hello Sunshine, will be turning it into a movie. This is a bestseller that's doing really well, so I'm not surprised. But it's kind of weird that a production company called Hello Sunshine is doing a murder mystery. I'm glad you got to that point, because my brain thought that as soon as you said Hello Sunshine. her production company also has done other books like this into movies before, so it's not really a surprise. It just always sounds weird. Yeah. Hello Sunshine brings you the best murder mystery thriller of the summer. Well, probably not this summer. They just now uh, have announced the cast. Oh, okay. So you got a while to wait on that one. Usually speaking, yeah. Yeah. The LA Times Festival of Books is going to be virtual this year for the very obvious reason, COVID. Sorry, guys, we won't be attending. They decided it was going to launch October 18th and take place over four weeks. And normally this is a two-day event. So I guess they're trying to space it out more so people can do multiple virtual events and not have to pick and choose. I've always thought that that is something that like Comic-Con should do better because I feel like if you're trying to get to certain things, like you're just either racing through it or you're missing all the things you want to see. Right, and you have to plan out things really well. And on top of that, you're not going to get any time to really look for what you want in all those little market square things they have. It's definitely cool that they're spreading it out and giving people the opportunity to kind of enjoy a little bit of everything, get a taste of it all. Yeah, that's really neat. For local news, I guess, a Texas mom has started streaming herself reading children's books. And she said she wanted to do it to give parents the break that she was looking for at the start of all this madness. So she's like recording YouTube videos of her reading like Go Dog Go and... Well, probably something a little more stimulating than Go Dog Go. But yes, she's talked about before, I guess, that she was really stressed out when COVID originally started. And so she wanted to let other parents have a break because she probably figured she wasn't the only one. It's probably a safe assumption. I know that a lot of people that have come into my store, at least recently, are like, we're so ready for our kids to go back to school. And I'm like, really? You shouldn't be. COVID? But I think the videos are only about 10 minutes long, however long it takes to read a children's book. Right. And maybe that's all you need. Have her tell your kids a bedtime story and you do whatever it is adults do when they're not doing that. It's definitely pretty stellar to give you that, like, break away from things. Yeah. And uh, this next thing I thought was really interesting. So... A library in Wisconsin had apparently had a plan in the works in the 70s to do a sort of mail order thing for their books. So they would mail the books to the clients of the library and they decided to revive that whole idea because of the whole COVID thing happening right now. And they thought it was good because it's contactless delivery and they had sort of this system already in place that they just hadn't used it yet. My only concern would be like the expenses of the shipping. Are they like utilizing library employees to like go and make the deliveries or? I 
don't think so. I think it's literally by mail. Okay. And you're right, there's probably an expense to that that you're not going to have if they use the Libby app or Overdrive or whatever to get electronic books or audiobooks. Yeah, and then are you charged late fees for the returning of your book if it doesn't hit the post date? Or is it like, there's I a lot of questions no I have, I'm yeah. sorry. I have no idea. They didn't go into detail in the article, but... Gotcha. It's a good idea. I'm, I'm assuming that this is more of a small town library sort of situation not one of the bigger like madison wisconsin or something like that right so i think it's a good way to prevent people from coming into contact with each other i don't know about the nitty-gritty there is something called book mail or media mail so that the price for shipping books is lower than the price of shipping things that are of the same weight but not books. And I used that whenever I moved to California from Oklahoma. And we won't go into the experience with that because USPS pilfered some very nice books. Two books out of 400 books was not bad, but one, I would like to not lose any of them. Yeah, one one being a first edition Harry Potter from the UK that was given to me by my grandmother who I gifted it to you because I know you would enjoy it more. Yeah. And Then we had to move in together and ship the books and it was a mess. Yeah. But I think they wouldn't have that problem. I would hope so in a small town because it's like I know where you live. Right, yeah. (laughs) And something I hadn't heard about until the complaints started rolling in was The Watch, which is based on Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels, is being turned into a BBC TV show. Now, this is one sort of like offshoot of Discworld where it centers around the city watch of Ankh Morpork. I can never say it right. It's a great name. I can never say it right. I read the first book for a fantasy class that I took in college and he said the name once and I've never been able to pronounce it since. Yeah. And I reread this book recently and I forgot how much I love it. And it's sort of getting a lot of backlash at this point because the photos coming out from the TV show don't meet up to the fan standard, I guess. So are we talking like as bad as OG Sonic when they remade it or? OG Sonic was just creepy. This is more like it's factually incorrect because this part of the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett is supposed to be more like a Renaissance era style. And so it's supposed to be all heavy stonework and stuff like that. And for some reason, the people who are making the show did it more in a steampunk style. Interesting. It's really upsetting to people who are really enthusiastic about this. And I believe it was Terry Pratchett's daughter, who I think is the one who gives people the right to make it into a show. She has that legal power. She's basically stepped back from it and said, I've got no part in this. Well, that would be weird considering the fact that like she has to be the one that gives permission for the well, use of the Well, there estate. is there is always the option that it was optioned before he died yeah. and then this is what it's turning into at which point she would have nothing to do with it. Right. But the show is coming in January of 2021. Who knows what the viewership is going to be like. I'm kind of interested to see how they turn Guards Guards into a show. That's the only book out of all the City Watch sort of series. That you'd be excited about? Well, it's the only one I've read. Uh-huh. It's it's the eighth Discworld book, but it's the first in the City Watch series. But also you can read this series kind of non-linearly. So 
I'm not sure. I really enjoyed Guards Guards when I had to read it in college and I when I reread it this past April. So I kind of want to tune in and see what the show's all about. Yeah. But if people don't like it, it's going to be a whole a mess. mess. A whole mess. Yeah. And then the last piece of book news I have is the director for the, I think, possibly just the second season or the first and second season of Umbrella Academy has said that the comic books may take a page out of the show's book. So basically they made certain changes to make the TV show work better. And the director and Jared Way and his collaborators have had conversations about taking some of the ideas that were used there and implementing it in the comic books. Okay. I think the reason for this is because from what I've heard, the comic books aren't as good as the TV show. So I think they're trying to turn that around. Now, I think the TV show obviously would never exist without the comics, but it's one of those rare instances where the source material isn't as good as what came after. Yeah, that's not a very common theme to say the least. I don't know. I think there's a chance I would be willing to read them. I think if I ever get the old garden. I will probably read that first and that will probably determine whether or not I'm open to more comic books because I really don't read comics. I read graphic novels and even then there's only one graphic novel series that I've enjoyed and it's Check Please because it's hockey and books and baking and it's everything I love. Check off all of those major boxes all in one go. All three of my personality traits. Check, check, check. Reading, baking, and hockey. Some interesting stuff. There's also been some murmurs going around as far as George R.R. Martin goes because he, of course, had set this deadline in order to be done with this book. He didn't meet it because he never meets any of his deadlines and people are saying the series is never going to end because he's getting old and he hasn't finished this book in 10 years probably gonna be 11 or 12 well, by the time he actually books does is he supposed to write so he has this next one and one after okay so it's decent to say that if the next one comes out in let's say two years from now and then he takes another 12 years to write that last book probably longer because it's the finale of a series he is going to be 85 at that point and that seems unlikely I'd hate to have to be the person that proofreads that final book if he does get everything finished. Right. Like, you're going to have to watch the writing style degrade, like, at that point. Well, I think part of the reason he's so finicky about his writing is that at one point he had discussed a certain character trait about one character in one book and in the next one he changed it i think it was the color of a guy's eyes that went from green to blue or the other way around and since then he is like being nitpicky but also he's a slow writer to begin with so he's really just looking into the finer details and making sure that things actually line up now because he doesn't want to screw that up again right and then you have to do the same thing not just with character traits but with plot and position in the world and it's this whole mess and I think he I think if he doesn't come out with this next book in the next couple years there's a chance this series is never gonna finish because he according to his agent has a line in his will about if he dies before the series is finished all of his notes and transcripts are to be burned so that no one else can finish the series that sounds like a mystery thriller waiting to happen It sounds like he's trying to live forever or he's just really arrogant or something, but a lot of his fans are just sort of done with him at this point, or at least just fed up. 
I was going to say, they're they're done in air quotes. With right. Them, but as soon as that if, book comes out, they're going to be like, oh my god, let me have it, I need it now. Right, right. So <laughs> there's a chance that it's going to get finished next year in the summer. So they say, we'll find out. But then it'll be another about nine months to get it edited and published. Yeah. And based on the things that I've heard about it, because we watched a YouTube video about it at least a little bit, and then that sprung my research into it a little as well, is it sounds like he's close to finishing it. But again, I think that's kind of personal opinion just from hearing what I'm hearing. Well, but... it also sounds relative because he's been working on it now for 10, 10 and a half years. So yeah. it's kind of like compared to where you were 10 years ago, I bet you are close to being done. Yeah, without a doubt. Hopefully within 10 years, you've moved forward at least a couple pages. Yeah. (laughs) I think he's frustrated with his fans, according to the stuff that's online that he blogs. And definitely his fans are fed up with him. So I think it's one of those things where you have to just shut up, finish your book, get it published. And then everyone either loves it and gets over their drama or they don't like it and think that the past 11 years have been a waste. So he's kind of unlike a lot of writers that exist in today's world where they just bang out books, you know, every year to two years. He's taking his time to make sure that it's flawless, more or less. I mean, you could make that point, but I think a lot of it just comes down to the fact that he's always sort of been this kind of writer who takes a long time and doesn't meet deadlines. On top of that, the kind of authors who keep knocking out novels every year or more than one a year, they write a different style of book. Obviously. So, like, romance writers can knock out a couple a year, and that's pretty simple because you don't have to do any world building. You don't have to have a map to know where everyone is at all times. It's just a matter of being able to write semi-well-rounded characters, not even fully-fledged characters because it's a short story. You don't have that much time with them. But then just coming up to a climax that's realistic and a resolution that's realistic. That's really all you need. But that's for a good romance. So, like, the bar is pretty low. Yeah. And for something like this, he's writing a, what, thousand-page fantasy novel that's going to take some time. Adventure-style fantasy, yeah. On top of that, it's a high fantasy, which means there's sort of a lot more that goes into it than in a lower fantasy. There's a few rules and regulations more than what you would see in just a basic fantasy-style story. And with that, you also have to realize, like, he's been called out for stuff before. You have to realize that he's got to know where everyone is at all times. He's got to get the timeline correct. And things have to move forward, but at the same time, match up things that have already happened in the other books. Yeah, which could make make it a lot more complex to write, I would imagine. But But, as somebody who doesn't write, I guess I don't really have a fair judgment to that either, so... As someone who's written in college and not since, writing contemporary is a lot easier than trying to, like, break into fantasy and sci-fi and stuff like that. So I'm willing to give him some leeway for that. At the same time, I read one of these books and decided this series isn't for me. So no horse in this race. Yeah. I wasn't planning on talking about George R. R. Martin. It just kind of happened. But that's all the news I had. I thought it would be fun to do a book tag that I've seen a lot of on YouTube. It's the rapid fire book tag. It's just a bunch of questions that you answer as quickly as you can. And I thought maybe we could try to get you to do it with me. I don't know if you're going to really have that much to say. So am I listing book titles or? No, it's just a a bunch of questions you answer. Oh, okay. So like the first one is, do you prefer an ebook or a physical book? 
ebook physical book in my opinion the only reason being is with my job i do travel a couple times a year so like convenience wise of it it would be nice to have something that i could take on the road with me you are currently looking at a girl who took three books to Rome, came back with five. I don't agree with your decision-making process, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not shocked by it either. Yeah. You've lived with me long enough. You know. Yeah. Do you prefer paperbacks or hardbacks? Hardbacks. Paperbacks. In order to read them, paperbacks. Do hardbacks look pretty on your shelf? Yes. But to read, paperback. I don't know. I'm, I'm always an aesthetic guy, so I guess the hardbacks are the reason I'm drawn to them. Like, how many times would you say that we go into Barnes & Noble and I'm like, wow, that's such a cool-looking book? And you're like, it's an awful book. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. It looks so nice. Well, you can have a pretty-looking book. You can have a pretty-looking awful book is what I usually get, you know, the treatment of. Yeah. Would you rather shop online or in-store for books? In store, which is weird because as an ebook buyer, you'd think I would be more of an online buyer, but I'm a big supporter of retail fronts. I would prefer to do that. So it's definitely something that I could get behind. I said online now in the time of COVID. Yeah. That's really your only option at this point. Well, yeah. I mean, we did technically walk into a bookstore the other day, but it was basically walked in, looked around, didn't touch anything and left. I'm definitely really proud of how they set everything up, though. Like, they definitely spaced things so that you weren't putting other people at risk, which was kind of nice. Yeah. It looked nice, and you didn't have to worry about coming into contact with a lot of other people. Right. You could wait your turn and just follow around in circles until you found what you needed. Yeah. Do you prefer trilogies or series? I guess I'm not understanding the question. They sound the same to me. Trilogy being three books only and a series being longer? A series would be longer, yes. Okay. A trilogy is a series, but it's a type of series. I'm pretty sure I've only read mostly trilogies. Like, obviously, reading Harry Potter right now, I'm in a series now. Right. But prior to that, I've always been predominantly a trilogy reader. Yeah. I, I guess if you count Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe when I was a kid, I guess I read a series, but... I prefer trilogies for most books. I think Harry Potter is kind of its own monster, as is the Throne of Glass series. By Sarah J. Mouse. Yeah. But outside of those two, I really prefer trilogies over series. So far, these are pretty easy questions. Yeah. Do you prefer heroes or villains? Depends on the day. I definitely love a good hero's tale, but at the same time, I can enjoy a good villain from time to time as well. I said both, but technically that could be neither. It's, I prefer morally gray characters in either category. So I don't want a hero who's like Harry and Harry Potter, who's just doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. And he doesn't have his own, (laughs) his own stuff to deal with. I mean, Harry does later on in the series, but like my favorite example of this is the two main characters in the villains series by V.E. Schwab, the first one being Vicious. You have Eli Ever and Victor Vale, and they're both not good people, but they both think they're the hero. But you end up picking who you think is the hero and who you think is the villain, and either way, you're right. right. So, in my opinion, I, w- I would prefer that over the Harry versus Draco sort of situation. Gotcha. Is there a book you want everyone to read, that you've read, that you think everyone in the world needs to read? Harry Potter is not an option because everyone's probably read it at this point. <laughs> Read encyclopedias, not Wikipedias. That would be my my one thing. I don't know. I'm not really a like. I haven't had a book that's really wowed me quite like that yet. So right, you're pretty early on in your book adventures. Yeah, like obviously I read them as a kid a lot, but memories fade right. with age. So so mine are Vicious by V. E. Schwab, 
because the good morally great characters. I could have guessed that. <laughs> Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson because it kind of takes the boarding school scenario and turns it on its head and gives it sort of this mystery element that I like. Yeah. Having, having met her, I could see myself enjoying her books, as long as her personality style is kind of also in her writing style. She has a sense of humor in there that I think you would enjoy. Yeah. And then the third one is All Systems Read by Martha Wells. It's sassy AI, of course. Everyone needs to read some of that. Yeah. You've very much fallen in love with sassy AI. So much so that while we were out the other day, we picked up a KTSO. K2SO, yes. K2SO. I'm looking at the pop figure right now. pop figure. So, you know, sassy AI, I got you. He is my favorite of all the droids, AI, whatever you want to call them, in Star Wars. (laughs) K2SO is my favorite. And if if you you haven't watched Rogue One... You don't get it. I feel like if you could get a good translation as to what R2 is saying most of the time, you might actually be on R2's side with that. Because R2 takes some pretty sweet digs, I imagine. I think R2 is cussing all the time, and that's why he's bleeped out. (laughs) And yeah, I like that a lot, but K2SO just has the sass. Yeah. Is there an underrated book you want to recommend? Which kind of in the same boat i really yeah. don't have anything that's really jumped out at me that's been been that way hmm. I, I i read the entire divergent series and i feel like definitely third, not underrated the, the third book was a little underrated at least in the world i know i enjoyed it now i know that a lot of other people did not you were in the minority there well i'm not shocked by that because i'm new to the book world so there's things that i'm gonna like that the rest of the world is like hate Hate. Well, we have more experience with the kind of stuff that she's done in that for, uh, third one that we don't like. Yeah. I actually had one that I really enjoyed the whole series, but the first one is The Valiant by Leslie Livingston. It's female gladiators in ancient Rome. Okay. And so that alone sold me on it. And then I think the first two books are the best. And the third one kind of jumps the shark a little bit towards the middle of that book. But... It's still a really good series that I think everyone should read. And it is very underrated. The last book you finished. Wow, that would have been Prisoner of Azkaban. We have talked about that at length. And the last book I finished the other day was Roommating by Noelle Adams and Samantha Chase. I'll talk about it later. But I got it for free from one of the book clubs online that I'm in. It's a book and I read it. And I'll just (laughs) leave that there. It doesn't sound like it was a very good book, but again, we'll get to that later with reviews of the books that she's read this week. What is the last book you bought? Ooh. um, It was probably for me. It probably was, and, and as I don't really keep tabs on it, I know that I'm usually the guy that just charges the card and buys the books. That's... That's my purpose on book trips. That and carrying the books usually are the two things that I pick up the role of. So if we're talking (laughs) Barnes & Noble gift cards, it's this last birthday. And who knows if we remember what those are. But if it's about the last physical book that you bought me in the store during a trip, it's the last by what's her face and his face and their face and then the last book i bought it's on one of the shelves it's somewhere the, no i'm saying the book is the last by hannah jameson i yeah. believe absolutely hated 
It was so bad. I'm glad I could buy it for you. Oh, well, I mean, it's sitting on my shelf looking pretty. But there's a book somewhere on your uh, TBR shelf that I bought for myself that I thought was going to be interesting and I just never got to read it and I don't remember what it was. Yes, but this was a lot of years ago that you did that and it's The Young World by Chris Wheats. It's right there staring at me. That's the book I, I bought for myself? Yes. Okay. And News you, to me. And you never I read it. It's been years. It. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'll read after Harry Potter, just so I can get oh, my one book TBR. Yeah. <laughs> For me, the last ones I bought, I bought with my birthday money. It's A Study in Charlotte, The Magicians, Lock Every Door, City of Ghosts, Fable, and In Holidays. I didn't know that it said plural. I thought it was the last book you bought, period. But I bought those all at the same time. Oh, okay. So, there we are. What is the weirdest thing you've used as a bookmark? I've used metrics from work one time it's what i had near me i had a piece of paper and it was in my bag and i was next to my backpack from work and so i pulled it out and i was like this will work yeah in there i think that's probably the weirdest thing because then like i saw my employees names and how they were performing and things like that when i pulled out of reading the book yours is definitely weirder than mine mine's a receipt or a bill probably yeah i've i've seen you do that a couple times yeah that's probably the weirdest thing i usually use bookmarks me too, for the most part. It's just when they're not within reach and I need to get up and go grab something or do something, it's just like whatever is convenient around me, I will put in the book. Yeah. The next question is just used books? I'm not against it. Right now in the current COVID situation, I'm a little against it. But Well, you just have to basically set it in a corner for, for three, days. three or four days. Yeah. And Otherwise, I don't really have a problem with it. I think the only thing I don't like about used books is people treat their books very poorly. Right. You have to really go through the book at the bookstore before you go home with it. And, like, I know that there are culprits out there that dog your pages, and that drives me absolutely crazy. You mean monsters. There are monsters out there. And, like, the highlighting and underlining of books, that drives me crazy, too. Like... If it's your book and you're never going to get rid of it, cool, great, do that. But, like, if you're going to end up selling it, yeah. selling the book, you're defacing it for whoever ends up having it next, and I just don't think that's right. I mean, at the time they did it, it was their property, but I also agree with you. For me, I just said yes, because I'll take all the books. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> what are your top three favorite genres? I think you've only read fantasy and dystopian, technically. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much all that I've read. I've read some Tom Clancy stuff when I was younger. And so, like, some of those are based off of things that happened in the world, but, like, told in different ways, like, different stories and things like Alternate that. Alternate so, history? Or? Yeah, kind of, a little bit. Okay. Like, there are things that have happened in different parts of the world, and then, like, they're placed in different places. I don't know. It, it's Clancy's kind weird. of weird. Like, obviously being... Tom a, Clancy being the video game person? No, being the book person that he was before he was ever a video game person. But is he the same person? Yes. Okay, well, that his, was my question. His family's company is that person. He, he never was really too much into the gaming side of stuff, even when he was alive. So Yes, but he was very based on military and, like, military operational type stuff. But he made a lot of books that are military-based, so... You get a lot of facts from things that have actually happened in the world and then just renamed and thrown into storylines, more okay. or less. My three favorite genres are fantasy, sci-fi, and contemporary. If you think of dystopian as something outside of fantasy, sci-fi, that sort of thing, then dystopian would replace contemporary. But if it's underneath that 
umbrella than contemporary. Gotcha. Do you borrow or buy? Mostly buy. I can't yeah. remember the last time I borrowed a book from anyone. I guess technically I'm borrowing all these Harry Potter books from you, but at the same time, I feel like I've paid for a lot of them too, so I don't feel so bad about it. I'm pretty sure they're gifts to me that you gave me, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they're mine and not yours. <laughs> yes. yeah. but, but we are married. What's yours is yours, and what's mine is yours, and vice that's versa. That's all there is. No, yeah. that was the end of the story. Yeah. I said buy as well because... I have not lived in a place with a decently stocked library or library system using Libby or Overdrive, so... Well, we're definitely in that situation now. We just haven't really had the opportunity, thanks to COVID, to really go out and explore our surrounding libraries. Like, we have Coppell and Carrollton Library System are both pretty strong library systems in our area, so... Do you prefer characters or plot? Uh, That's a tough one. I definitely feel like I prefer plot over characters because I, I have to have something entertaining going on i think that was very obviously the answer the whole time yeah for you yeah i do enjoy characters being attached to one another like i want a good story right with the characters but you'd prefer a good plot over good characters oh, 100 100 out of 100 i am the opposite i prefer very good characters over a good plot i want a character driven story over a plot driven story Hmm. So if you can have both, I'll take it. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment as well. But obviously, if I had to pick one, plot. Long or short books? I'm really not turned away from either one. I obviously, not being an avid reader, naturally get through books faster if they're shorter. But that's the argument of pages and reading. But so far, out of the Harry Potter books, I've liked the longer ones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not turned away to a long book. So I guess long book. I said long books because my chief complaint in nearly every review I've done since I started writing reviews is that the book's not long enough. Yeah. Now, whether it's not long enough because I'm just enjoying my time in the world or not long enough because you didn't have time to develop something, that's up in the air. But that is usually my complaint for a book is it's not long enough. Yeah. I've heard it a few dozen times or so. Long or short chapters in books. Ooh, so... I, based on the way I have to read because of how much I work, Mm -hmm. I would say short chapters, but when I do get the opportunity to sit down and read a long chapter, I really, really enjoy it because there's, I feel like the information that needs to be brought to the table is actually brought to the table in a long chapter, whereas in the short chapters, it's like, here's the two bullet points. Okay, we're done. Well, what I put is I prefer short chapters for action-y books or action-y sections of books, Right. but... Otherwise, long chapters. So it's sort of what you were saying where when it's action-packed, I want it to happen quickly. I don't want you to dilly-dally in the chapter. Right. Whereas when something needs to be explained or gone over, you need a long chapter. So I agree with you on that one. Now, we're in the library at the moment. So for this one, I need you to not look at the bookshelf. And you need to name the first three books you can think of. First three books I can think of. uh, Let's go Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay. Because why not? This is, this is a tougher one. Like the, Obviously, there's other books that are coming to my mind. Prisoner of Azkaban being my, one of my favorites so far for the rereads. You just have to name the first ones you think of. And then Divergent. Those are the three books that I think I relate to the most across my lifetime. So mm-hmm. You just had to name the first three books you thought of. Well, I made it way more complicated than you need to. Yeah, you did. So when I wrote this post out, 
that's when I filled it in. So I'm just going to say the ones that I thought of while I was typing this up. One was Sky in the Deep, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, and The Guest List. Yeah. Is there a book that has made you laugh or cry? If so, what? I don't know. I I don't tend to get that emotionally attached to characters in books yet. And I'm sure with time that will change. So right now, really nothing has done that to me. I would disagree because I've seen you laugh at things friend George do in the Harry Potter books. So that's... That's... I guess the laughing then would be like Fred and George moments, but who doesn't laugh at Fred and George moments? If you don't, then there's something wrong with you. Or you're Molly Weasley. Yeah. For me, I put that the last book to make me cry was Second Chance Summer by Morgan Matson. It's that one about the girl whose father is dying of cancer, so they go to their lake house for one last summer together. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it brought up a lot of emotions about people in my life who have passed away, and I cried like a baby. Yeah, I can see that. Do you prefer our world or fictional world? If you could go into a fictional world, would you do that or stay here? I'd probably stay here just because I know what the current state is and how to handle it. Whereas if I went into a book world, I would be really concerned that I would be lost and I wouldn't know what to do. That's really funny because I said the opposite because of what's going on here in the world right now. And I know what it's like and I'd rather go somewhere else. And, like, I can kind of agree with that sentiment, but at the same time, I'm, I've been working through all this COVID nonsense. Like, I haven't really had time away from it, so I'm not too afraid of it, I guess, as a lot of people are. But also, there's more adventure and things to happen in these other series. Like, if I could have gotten my Hogwarts letter at 11 and done that versus the way my life trajectory went, I would have done that in a heartbeat. (laughs) Audiobooks, yes or no? I know we both have strong feelings about this. No. I also said no, but I have a different reason than you, I think. It's not that I don't think audiobooks count as reading. I don't think it physically counts as reading, but I think it still counts as, like, you can put on Goodread that you've read this book. I I just physically cannot process audiobooks. Like, I listen at one time speed or sometimes, like, three-quarter time speed and end up not being able to understand what's happening. Yeah, and so where I have the dilemma with it more so is kind of the same terms. When it comes to comprehension, I am not 100% comprehending what I'm hearing. Right. And then the second thing being that I 100% disagree with you. If you listen to a book, you did not read it. (laughs) It is not something that you read. That is like my biggest pet peeve about the world of booktube. They're like, well, I was doing work and listening to a book. And I'm like, okay, and if you legitimately comprehend it, then I would agree. But there should be a test on Goodreads to prove (laughs) that you actually read the book. And, you know... Going all the way back to fifth grade. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and it should be a secure site so that you can't open other, like, windows. You know, to like be like, oh, let me look at uh, the the notes here on this, you know. I think part of the reason we feel this way is because we don't understand how you could be doing work and listening to an audiobook and understanding what's happening when we can't even just sit in our car and drive and understand what's happening in the book that's being read to us. So Right, there's been a couple road trips where you were like, let's listen to this book, and I'm like, I'd rather shoot myself in the head, thanks. Right, well, I've discovered that the only way I can comprehend what's happening in an audiobook is it has to be an audiobook for a book I have physically read before, which if I'm doing my yearly Harry Potter reread and I have to travel for some reason, that makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, it's completely pointless and a waste of time for me. Yeah. 
The next question is, do you ever judge a book by its cover? Well, yes. I already answered that. Yes. Yes, I, you do. I, yes, I do. I do. I fall in love with books based on their covers. Mm-hmm. And then I run into the, the thing where I read the book and I hate it. So Sometimes it's got a good cover and it's a good book. Yeah. I think they're doing really well right now with publishing good books with good covers or just really great covers in general and whoever the illustrator is for these book covers lately has got to be making a killing because like there's so many beautiful hardbacks and paperback books that are coming out right now yeah with covers where i'm just like jaw hitting the floor yeah i know that there's been a turn in the romance side of things where They've gone from having a person on the cover, like a photograph of a person. Well, instead of the half-naked man um, romance books. They're having illustrated covers instead, and those are selling so much better. Yeah, because it doesn't make you feel like you're buying smut when you're going to read a standard romance book. Also, pretty covers just sell well, so. Yeah. Would you prefer a book to movie or a book to TV adaptation? As a gamer, I hate game to movie adaptations. For the same reason I imagine book people hate book-to-movie adaptations. It's never enough time. Yeah. So I am a big supporter of book-to-television adaptations. Yeah, I agree. Just the same as I would be if a video game was going to try to do something like that as well. I completely agree. Like, The Witcher was a book and a game and turned into a TV show, right? So there's one that meets all of those things. But I also agree that it should be a book-to-TV adaptation and not a book-to-movie adaptation anymore. I think we've moved past the age where people want to go see a movie of their favorite book or whatever. Yeah, dare I say Prince of Persia. I actually really liked that movie. Yeah, there's an unsupported opinion on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm in the minority for sure. Without a doubt. But I've known nothing else about it. I just watched the movie. Yeah. So. Is there a movie or TV show you preferred to the book? You haven't read a lot of books, so. I don't know. That's That's a tough one. I would say that I thoroughly enjoyed the third movie of the Divergent series versus the book. Like, I enjoyed the book, but I didn't... Like, I enjoyed the movie more than the book itself. And I think it's because that book could have used with a little bit of slimming down. Like, it could have just been faster paced and the movie forced it to be that. Yeah. I think for me, I struggled with this one a lot because so much gets cut down when it goes to a movie or TV show. Like, even though you get the extra time in a TV show, it still happens. Yeah. But mine is actually going to be a weird one. It's elementary over Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock stories. And I say that because I think the show does a very good job of humanizing Sherlock. Whereas the BBC show or the regular stories more like demonize him, in my opinion. I well, think he's supposed to be, though. That's the thing. I completely disagree. Yeah. I think the author sort of did him a disservice because Sherlock is still a human. He is still existing. You can diagnose him with whatever you want. You can call him an addict or whatever, but he's still a human being. And I think the elementary TV show does a really good job of humanizing Sherlock. Yeah, I would agree with that. That He definitely is a lot more approachable as a human being in in elementary than he is in any other phase. And you still have the things... 
you still have the things that sort of make him into what people would call like a bad person. So like he still had the drug problem. He still has all these unorthodox ways of solving crimes and sometimes illegal ways of solving crimes. And he still has this problem with interpersonal connection. Right. So it's not like they're really stripping anything away from Sherlock. I think they're really just adding more to him in the elementary show. And the last question is, do you prefer a series or a standalone book? One book or multiple books? Series. I, I don't like standalones just because I feel like they're cramming too much stuff into a book. Now, if it's a long standalone, maybe you could argue that being the case. But I've never been fond of a storyline that I can complete in one read through, like one yeah. book. See, to the point that you just made, there was a standalone fantasy novel that came out a year or two ago that's like 800 pages long or longer, I think. Yeah. And everyone said it was trying to do too much in too few pages. It was too much for just one book. It needed to be broken up and there were problems with pacing and plot. So I completely agree with you that series are way better than standalones. I think that Unless you were doing a romance, it needs to be a series yeah. for almost everything. Maybe mysteries, not so much, but besides those two, I think they should be a series. Yeah. But that was Tag Corner or whatever. And now we're going to talk about the 15 chapters of Goblet of Fire you've gotten through. Yeah, nail it right on the head. Definitely off to an interesting start. You're not taking long like you did in the second book to get going. It's definitely pretty quick to the races, you know, with entertaining things going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, which And short chapters at first. Yeah, which was a little weird, especially considering it's such a large book, which made it easy for earlier on in the week when I was working to be able to actually read some of the chapters at night yeah, yeah. before I go to sleep. Instead of feeling like, oh man, I got this long chapter I have to read. I better sit down after dinner and immediately read. You know? right. So it was nice uh, feeling to have that. Obviously, in the first chapter, you start with that flashback. Super weird. Just because that's not the normal format for the Harry Potter books. It threw me for a little bit of a spin at first. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I knew right away that it was a flashback, and it wasn't like it was something that was like, oh, is this a thing that's happening right now? Like, it was very apparently something that was a flashback. Well, I mean, technically, it is happening right then. Harry's just seeing it from across the country. Technically, the thing with Frank Bryce after the murders have happened, when he's in the house by himself taking care of it, that's obviously Harry seeing that happen. Well, actively at that point, yes, but I was referencing the actual whole flashback. Oh, okay, like the with town, the murders. Yeah. The town's like spreading rumors about it being him, and, and he's just like, what did I do? I don't he's, know what I did. I've done nothing, you he's know. He's just a quiet old man. Yeah, and so, and so obviously you get to the scene where you have... Wormtail and Voldemort sitting in the room with the fire. And then the snake comes by him and he doesn't move. And I'm like, dude, that was your chance, bro. If I saw a giant snake slither past me, I would be frozen as well. We know how you react to even little snakes as we did the other day on our walk. (laughs) But um, that's here nor there. But yeah, your fear of snakes would make you freeze. I could imagine. Yeah. Personally... If I saw the snake and it went past me, I would be trying to run as fast as I can. Not knowing who the people are inside, you know, the other room being super creepy, I'd be out. I'd be out so fast. Yeah. I've watched too many horror movies not to be the one running at that point. Well, this was also the 90s and he was a really old man. Yeah. So. I guess. 
I don't know that it excuses it any, any differently. I would still be moving as quickly as I could. Yeah. And that scene was super creepy and super dark. And, like, I enjoy those types of things. Like I said earlier in the, the quiz, I enjoy a good villain. And I, I don't like Voldemort as a character, but he, he's important. I think you like him as a character, but not as a person. That's a that's a good stance on it. Yeah. yeah. I think this book is kind of where it deviates from the first three books, not just in form, but also in that it gets real dark real fast, and yeah. it just continues down that track. Yeah. It lightens up a little bit after that cutscene. Obviously, you have the Weasleys. Well, I should start with the fact that you have Miss Weasley mailing the letter with 8 million stamps on it, which... <laughs> is beyond one of the most entertaining things that goes on. That is my absolute favorite part of what happens in Harry's summer. Yeah. But also, I just, I want to be that person who has to hand that to them. Yeah, like, the postal worker hilarious. was just, in, I'm sure, in tears as he was walking back to his his vehicle. And if you have the illustrated version, which I do, you don't, yeah. but I might share it with you. Yeah. They actually did a draw up of that and it's hilarious. Right. And you also have the scene where he sends the letter to Sirius Black about the dream that he had. Yeah. That was not a dream. It's something that was actively happening that he was seeing. And that kind of sets the stage for like this, what I imagine is going to be some weird serious stuff that goes on as we go along through the book. Serious stuff or serious stuff? Serious stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, like Godfather, his Godfather stuff. But yeah, the Weasley, the Weasley letter had me in tears. And then when the Weasleys come to pick him up, that's also they hilarious. come with flu powder and the fireplace is boarded up. And so they're like knocking on the wall and, you know, you have Fred, George... You have Ron. Ron and Mr. Weasley all crammed into this basically space in the wall. Right. And, and the fireplace. You got to think, this isn't a muggle household. So, like, it's a small spot. Yeah, to it's fit an English household. Men. Yeah. To fit four grown men. And as we know, Ron is much taller in the books than he is in the movie. Well, he's taller than Fred and George, I'm pretty sure. By, right. By year four. Right. So, I mean, they're pretty, pretty tight in there. Yeah, and so they they actually tear down the wall to get out, which I think is hilarious. Uh, and then Fred and George immediately go to start collecting Harry's things. And as they are walking over there, they f they fall over and drop a bunch of candy. Mm -hmm. uh, that you know, obviously, we find out is fantastic choice of candy to drop for a fat kid named Dudley who's been on a diet all summer. Yeah, I think if you're Mr. Weasley, this was a rookie mistake. Why would you allow friend George to volunteer to go do something? You should be suspicious automatically. Automatically, no matter what. And when things fall out of their pockets, it's safe to assume they're not safe for anybody that they're hitting the floor of. Right. Like, it should be like, excuse me one minute, I need to go pick up these things. Mm -hmm. But obviously the candy expands Dudley's tongue. The ton-tongue toffee. Yeah, say mm -hmm. that ten times fast, right? I will not. Yeah. And it's just like she nailed when she wrote the book the perfect thing for Dudley to have to deal with. Like, mm -hmm. I thought it was hilarious. Like it's a punishment. Like hey, you're on a diet now. Your tongue's gonna expand. Well, you're so on a you diet. Can't eat you're, anymore. you're trying to break your diet, and yeah. then now you have to deal with the punishment for that. Yeah. Also, I think it's funny because you had him expand technically at both ends, so he got a tail and then got an extra long tongue. Yeah. Throughout the series. Yeah. I think that's funny. I think she does a really good job, especially in the beginning of this, to sort of lighten up all the big, bad, scary things with humor. Yeah. And so I'm really loving that at the moment. Yeah. And 
everybody heads back to the burrow except for Mr. Weasley, who's trying to use magic to swell his tongue back down to normal size, but the family is, like, losing their mind. They're so afraid of magic that they won't let him heal their son. And so it's like, he's going to suffocate to death, but you're so afraid of him doing something bad to your son that you won't let him help you. Exactly. But yeah, that that scene cracked me up. And then when they get back and Mr. Weasley doesn't realize that Miss Weasley is within earshot and he's like, I can't believe you guys did that, boys. And she's like, did what? Yep. And Miss Weasley dropped the mic and the hammer. I think it's funny how afraid everyone is of Mrs. Weasley. Except for Harry, pretty much. Like, Harry's, I feel like he's still a little afraid of her, but at the same time, like, he's like, she loves me. I'm the innocent one. Right. No, if you're outside the family, you're all right. But if it's anyone in the family, you better watch out. Yeah, Miss Miss Weasley's coming. Yeah. I I thought that was a really entertaining scene as well. Everybody kind of runs away back up to Ron's room um, and then realizes that they're playing like gladiators with the tables outside, Mm -hmm. the picnic tables outside of the house. I gotta say, I love meeting the older Weasley boys. Yeah. I mean, if I would have been Ginny's age at that point and I met them, I would have been in love with them automatically because I think the characters are so great. Well, they, they come off as, like, really professional, but then also just the right amount of, like, Silly Weasley that you expect. Yeah, and on top of that, you've got Bill, who's got this great job with the bank, going in and trying to find treasure. But then you've got Charlie, who's, like, this cool older brother. He's not the oldest, but he's older than most of the kids. And he works with dragons in Romania. He's got this earring and long hair and just so he's a hipster is what i got from that like just a little bit he was a hipster before it was cool because this was the 90s when this was happening yeah so yes he's like a double hipster he was a hipster before it was cool yeah and then you end up having a dinner and everybody's having all like their family moments chit chat and like it's all fun and games it's friendly talk instead of like bad mouthing somebody about how they were giving away candies to a fat kid that knew he was gonna (laughs) eat it and i I don't. Rem- I didn't remember port keys that well until I read the book. Right. And the irony that it's just random things that nobody, like no human, would pick up and touch, like an old boot. It's supposed to be garbage, so muggles yeah. don't pick it up. Yeah. Which says a lot about environmental problems. It says in the a 90s. lot about what J.K. Rowling thought about human race as a whole. I feel like a little bit, like she took a little bit of a shot at this, but yeah. At the same time, it totally makes sense. I would never touch a boot if it was just sitting on the ground. No, that's gross. So I thought that was pretty, pretty darn funny. And then when they get to the campsite, I really enjoyed that because they more or less bewitched their tents to be gigantic on the inside. So, you know, it was, that was entertaining. It's bigger on the inside. Yeah. I also like the fact that you've got wizards who know that they're supposed to be not sort using of, magic. Sort of controlling the way that they're interacting with each other to avoid muggle issues, but then They're not at all. They're not. They can't help but just overdo it yeah, in like front of each other. Yeah, like purple and blue flames were described and like all sorts of just different things on the fires and Well, and someone had a chimney attached to their tent and stuff. Right. So, it's just it's all and really fun and little funny. Little kids are flying around on like basically training wheels sized brooms <laughs> like around little everything. Little toy broomsticks. Yeah. Yeah. But that was that was entertaining. I love the campsite thing. They go through and they see uh, Seamus Finnegan at the Irish fan supporting camp, which clearly was hilarious because everything's green everywhere. Yeah. And then they go through and to the other camp. I'm blanking on what country it was from, which is awful. The other team. Yes. Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Yes. And they are just basically have pictures of Victor Crumb everywhere. <laughs> 
And Everyone's a fanboy for Victor Crump. Oh, everybody. Truly everybody. And they're like, oh, he's the greatest seeker the game's ever seen, and la-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. I also really like, during this whole thing, you see Percy's boss come in and talk to Arthur Weasley. And he's such a just fuddy-duddy, like, boring... But then for some reason, he can't get his employee's name right. Yeah. And he calls him Weatherby. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird that he can't even get his own employees' names right. Like, I couldn't imagine if I went into my store and started calling people by the wrong names. Like, I could only imagine that it would not go over well. I think it's one of those things where he's in a high enough position and far enough away from him that it seems like it's okay to not know someone's name, but it's really not. Right. And they invite him in for tea and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'll just take the tea here and then we'll go. Yeah. You all know that uh, he had a lot of other things to be getting on. Right. Then you have the Quidditch World Cup game. Very exciting. Flying leprechauns everywhere. The Vila, who mm-hmm. literally are almost capable of making people... Well, they did, actually. One, one of the people jumps out of the stands or something, right, Adam, if I remember correctly? Well, Harry tries, and Hermione stops him. Yeah. But you also have people behaving in ways that don't make a lot of sense because they're so wowed by the Vila beauty. And then things devolve later in the game and you realize that uh that's not that's why you don't just go for looks yeah because they actually are really evil and bad as well they can be yeah after that obviously the the game ends up being finished where uh, fred and george win a bet with uh, ludo bagman yeah victor crumb catches the snitch even though they're down 160 points mm-hmm. so the irish win uh, the Irish roar and celebrate and have fun into the night. And then, dun-dun-dun, the bad people show up. Yeah, yeah. I forget the name of what they are, though. The Death Eaters show Death up. Death Eaters, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Death Eaters arrive and start causing a ruckus in the mm-hmm. camp by basically making tents and people, like the muggles, float around and stuff like that through the air. As they're running away, they run into the forest and then run into Ludo Bagman, and he's like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And they're like, are you stupid? Do you not see what's going on everywhere around you? Like, look around, man. And so he's like, all right, I'm out of here. Who knows where he ends up going? He apparates. He's supposed to go help with the Death Eater problem. Yeah. And as they're running into the forest, Harry realizes that he lost his wand. And there's somebody in the background that they hear making some kind of magical incantation. And you have the mark appear, which... I did remember the mark. The dark mark, yes. The dark mark. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a bunch of wizards surround Harry and Hermione and Ron and try to cast a spell against them. Stupefy, if I recall correctly. Yes. Which... They're trying to be able to get a hold of him because they think he's the one who cast the spell. Right. And then they have a big argument as to why Harry couldn't be and why Harry could be the one that did it. Right. And the only thing that I feel like I missed in that scene, I guess, was the run-in with Malfoy. Malfoy, more or less, Draco is like, well, hopefully they don't get a hold of you muggles. And then he's, Mm -hmm. like, looking basically at Hermione, like, taking shots again. Yeah. Like, they're all taking bets that Lucius is part of the Death Eaters, which we don't confirm or deny currently but because i'm a nerd i already know kind of how that all works out in the end but it's definitely interesting that all this stuff is going down in such a short period of time like this chaos is just dropping down on everybody yeah so we went from like dark to light and funny to really dark all of a sudden again so jk rowling is really messing with our hearts well 
That's kind of what she got paid to do. After they accuse Winky, the house elf, uh, Hermione, it's probably part of what like triggers her down the line with the things that she ends up doing further into the book. Well, the whole time she realized that this isn't the way house elves should be treated. It started with Dobby, yeah. really, what she heard about him because she didn't really interact with him in the second uh, they get back to the burrow. Miss Weasley is like, oh my god, you're all alive. Like, Thank god. Like, well, yeah, I, I hope you would have heard something if they wouldn't have been by then. And the first article of Rita Skeeter comes out, which we all... Well, the first one we know of. Yeah, well, the one that we know about that is related to what went on at the Quidditch World Cup at the end of everything. So. Yeah. And because of that, Mr. Weasley and Percy have to, like, work double overtimes trying to fix all the things or figure out all the things that actually happened that night instead of just guessing. Yeah. Then Ron gets his dress robes, which I think is a hilarious <laughs> scene. Both Hermione and Harry get really nice new things, and then Ron's got this stuff with lace. Though, to be know. fair, it's because they paid for their own robes. Yes, yeah. Ron's family could only afford those. The ones with lace. Yeah. That's definitely something you think of as a man is something you want on your clothing is lace, let me tell you. It's the top of, top of the list, even for fancy things. Chapter 11 is a lot of, like, nerding out about the Quidditch Cup while they're on the Hogwarts Express. And then you get another appearance from Draco being a punk, making fun of everything that he can possibly make fun of. That should be Draco's tagline. Draco mm. Malfoy being a punk. Being a punk. And I don't disagree with you on that. I think that's not a bad choice. But he's making fun of Ron for his new owl because it's so small. Like, you know. He's adorable is what he is. Yeah. I was going to say high energy ADHD as a bird. But. Probably. um, And so they get there. And if I recall, it's like really nasty weather. Like it's dumping rain. Downpour, yeah. Um, My favorite kind of weather. Yeah. The first years are riding across in boats and Colin Creevy's brother falls out of the boat. He's so excited to have fallen out of the boat like and he been put drowned. back by the giant squid. Yeah. I love how enthusiastic he is about everything happening because that's exactly how I would be if I had gone to Hogwarts. <laughs> no matter what it was, if it was bad, if it was good, I would love it and be there for it. And then I thoroughly enjoyed, and it's hard for me to say this because I really don't like Peeves as a character. I love that he does But this. the water balloon attack from above is coming in the doors. Yeah. Priceless. Well, I mean, you're already wet. What's the problem? That that was my thought to it, too. It's like, it's just funny at that point, right? Yeah. And then McGonagall comes down and tells him to stop, and he's like, well, I've got three more. <laughs> so he <laughs> dumps those and then disappears. I love Peeves so much. I'm sad that they exclude him from the movies. Yeah. I think if I had to go to school there with Peeves, I might have a problem with him, but the fact that he's just a character in a book, I love him. Yeah. While they're at dinner, the first meal there again, Hermione learns about the house elves. Uh in the kitchen and she is at that point fired up like i'm not gonna eat anything so she literally doesn't eat a thing in the feast isn't that such a 14 year old's mindset yeah like it's gonna make a difference if i don't eat one meal like if one person stops eating that's gonna fix the house elf problem at hogwarts like i really don't think you understand the breadth of the problem here yeah and you have dumbledore announcing that well basically doing his Welcome to Hogwarts announcements, more or less. And he announces that they're going to not be doing Quidditch this year. And you just hear the grumbles all the way across the room, pretty much. Nobody's really happy about that. He goes, but there's a reason. And then enter Mad-Eye Moody. Creepy. Yeah. And, you know, he's walking through the thing Mm peg-legged. He's introduced as the dark arts 
teacher for this year. And I just don't understand why anybody would take that job because the turnover is so <laughs> high. One a year. Yeah, one a year. That's nuts. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy to me. But then they announced that there's going to be the Triwizard Tournament. And everybody's like, more or less like, what's that? And he's like, don't worry. I'll tell you. It hasn't happened for over 200 years. Yeah, and starts breaking it all down, the rules and things like that, that you have to be over the age of 17 to be able to compete in it. Yeah, that's a new rule. That's why they reinstated the whole thing. They added that rule. They're like, it's safe enough for 17-year-olds, so... They're so much more prepared than 16-year-olds. Right. Favorite scene to kind of come out of that in... Sadly, it's not going to be covered in the chapters, so I'll have to wait till next week for it. And uh, the... Um, Fred and George trying to enter. Yeah. Entertaining, to say the least. But in 13, you end up in another one of Trelawney's classes where her prediction is so wrong. She's like, well, based on the planets, I would say that you were born in the wintertime, Harry. And he's like, no, stupid. It was July. July. Like, completely opposite. And Ron literally bursts out laughing (laughs) in the class. Out loud, and it's just kind of priceless. Does Ron make any predictions in that class? He does. I don't remember exactly what they were, but... Because there's a fan theory I want to introduce you to, but I can't. Yeah. And then you have the fight between Malfoy and Ron when Draco brings the Daily Prophet, which is trying to pin a lot of the blame for what happened at the Quidditch World Cup on... Mr. Weasley. On Mr. Weasley. And as Harry and Ron finally get the trash talk out of their system, they walk away after a sick burn, and Draco tries to cast a spell on Harry and misses, and our favorite Mad-Eye Moody kind of makes another appearance and turns Draco into a ferret. That's one of my favorite parts. And starts swinging him around like he's a feather in every direction. Draco Malfoy, the amazing bouncing ferret. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. And I mean, if you're going to go around trying to cast spells on someone who's got their back turned to you, that's exactly what you deserve. To be turned into a ferret and flung around like a a pool noodle. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't like ferrets, so I don't mind that imagery. (laughs) The combination works well for you is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Um, McGonagall's got a problem with it, though. Yes, she does. Transfiguration is not a form of punishment, Mr. Moody. Then Moody hauls him off after McGonagall changes him back Mm -hmm. and uh, hauls him off to Snape's office for punishments to be later named. So that basically sets them off to being excited about going to Moody's class. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's going to be the greatest. And it only gets added to, because they're talking about it at dinner, Ron, or not Ron, Jesus, Fred and George, George, like, butt in. They're like, yeah, he's the greatest. His classes are so fantastic and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh my god, we can't wait, and we don't get to have them until Friday. They arrive for their Defense of the Dark Arts class after the long week of waiting for the class, and they find out that Moody is anti-books right off the bat. (laughs) Comes in, put your books away. Oh, okay, that's a thing. We're gonna learn some things. He's more hands-on. Yeah, definitely. And so he's having them kind of go over where they, what they covered in the previous year from what they heard from, or what he heard from Lupin. And everybody's like, yep. And like, he's like, great. So what do you guys know about curses? And everybody's like, nothing. nothing. Yeah. And he goes, cool, you're behind on that. Let's start teaching you some things. Yeah. And immediately goes into the unforgivable curses. Because that's obviously where you need to start with defense for some reason. For a curse, yeah. It kind of seems like an extreme place to start, that's for sure. 
So you have the Imperious Curse, which allows the Cursor, which I think is hilarious that that's the actual term, but it makes sense, to control said Cursed. And that is priceless. So he's testing all these curses out on spiders for the class to see. Poor Ron. Yeah. He did not deserve that. Yeah. He raced up to the front row too, which is the irony of it. He's like, we're going to get the very front seat and ran all the way up there. And then he's like, here's three spiders. And Ron's like, uh. Yeah, poor guy. I'm going to say this one wrong. The Cruciatus curse. Cruciatus curse. Cruciatus curse. Tortures people and makes them feel pain in like uncontrolled levels that they're not used to experiencing. And then the one that I think is irony in the greatest sense, and I spoke to you about it earlier, I know that the magic world doesn't use the words abracadabra, but if they did, it's way too close. The Avada Kedavra instantly kills the cursed. No known counter curses. The only person to survive it so far is in this class and points to Harry Potter. He has the mark to prove it. The thing that I was trying to impress upon you earlier is the fact that you have to have a will or a desire to use the curse. You can't just accidentally say it and kill someone. Gotcha. So you have to 100% be behind the idea of killing said person. Yeah. Also during that chapter, Hermione starts her new group called Spew. Uh, It makes up some badges and some flyers Mm -hmm. for the Society for the Protection of Elfish Welfare. Yeah. Which is already annoying me. I I get that they're trying to build on Hermione's character traits, but at the same time, it's just like, I feel like this is something that's not necessary in the book so far. I think it is necessary, and I can't explain to you why. I do understand that it can be annoying, though, because as Harry and Ron, they get very annoyed. Yeah. But also, this is one of the things that bothers me about Hermione, and she's just 14, so like I can't 100% blame her for this, but with your social justice, you cannot just decide what is good or right for the people you're trying to get justice for. You Without have to let insight. you have to let them tell you what they need with their justice. You can't just suddenly decide what's good or right for someone that you think is beneath you or that you think other people think is beneath you. Right. I can agree with that. And then Harry gets his letter back from Sirius, mm-hmm. basically saying, like, I'm on my way. <laughs> Dad mode activated. Yeah, exactly. Godfather, Godfather mode. mode activated. Here I am. I'm coming. Then Harry the, literally that night sneaks out and writes a letter basically going, don't. It's a joke. I'm fine. Nothing's happening. Just stay hidden. It's not that serious serious. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that, I think it's just funny as all get out. Like That's a total kid thing to be like, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's okay. It didn't actually happen, even though I told you it did. No one believes you for half a second. And then Moody also starts putting imperious curses on the students. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was a funny scene. It's also illegal. Yes, yeah. But entertaining scene to say the least. And they get to Harry's turn and he's trying to make Harry jump onto a desk, mm-hmm. which is funny as all get out. And Harry's like, why do I have to do that? I don't think I will. Like he's fighting it back by just being like a punk a little bit, <laughs> like being a little bit of a prick about it because it's just like... He didn't want to do it. He's like, I don't want to do this. I'm good. I'm fine. You know? And he's like, when he jumps and then... F- flails against the desk basically uh, Moody's like you did it you fought it like he just loses his mind I mean like, he halfway who's, did who's so proud of him like you know we should all be very proud and blah, blah 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 and I was like wow I'm like that's crazy that nobody could fight it even the slightest bit and Harry was just like first try mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Kind of makes me hate Harry a little bit more at the same time as love him, I guess. If you were in class with him, you'd hate him a little bit. And then you end up finding out that the delegations will be arriving on October 30th from the two other schools. Beaubaton. Beaubaton? Beaubaton. Yeah, well, you're Beaubaton. We'll get there. No. And and Durmstrang, right? Yeah. Okay, that one's not so difficult. Are the two other schools that will be competing in the Triwizard Tournament? It's always those three schools. Is it? Yes. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. News to me, I'm not buried in the Harry Potter world, so kudos to those those three schools always being the ones included and everybody else being excluded. I'm sorry. You're not good enough. I love the way that they arrived, though. And, <laughs> and I partially remember it from the movies more so than I do from the book, which is sad because in the books it's very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. The French school arrives via a giant carriage. A horse-drawn carriage. Yeah, that's flying through the air. And I'm like... So you got a problem with flying cars, but a whole giant-ass carriage with horses that are the size of elephants, which is the way it's described. Hopefully they're a little bit better at concealing themselves than Harry and Ron were. Clearly. And they arrive, and Madame Maxine gets out of the carriage, and everybody's like, oh my god, she's a giant just like Hagrid, more or less is the kind of the reaction. She's huge. And as Dumbledore is inviting her and her group in because they're underdressed for the cold northern winters of where Hogwarts is located, they run inside really quick. But as she's going in, she's like, you need somebody that's going to be able to handle my horses. They don't move very easily on their own. Mm -hmm. And Dumbledore is like, listen, we've got it handled. We have Hagrid. We have Hagrid, more or less. And she's like, I don't think you understand. And Dumbledore's like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, we're plenty prepared to handle your horses. Then the, I was going to call it the delegation from Durmstrang, which I guess is kind of right, you know, in some sense. They have a random whirlpool that builds up in the lake out of nowhere. How would you like to be the giant squid when that happens? Yeah, you're in the lake and your whole lake just starts spinning around and then a boat comes out of it. Mm -hmm. As the delegation gets closer from the school, like the kids and students and things, they notice up front walking with the head of the school is none other than star seeker for the Bulgarian national team, Victor Crumb. <laughs> and most of the boys lose their freaking minds. Half the girls do, too. Yeah. Like, I wonder who'll sign my lipstick. With your lipstick, yeah. Yeah. On her hat, I believe she wanted. She also wanted the lipstick signed as well. I believe, if I remember reading it correctly. But I did read it very late at night, so there's a chance it's just using the autograph with the lipstick. Yeah. But that's pretty much what I have from what I've read. I don't know if there's any tidbits you enjoyed in that section that you wanted to talk about. But... You covered a lot of the good stuff. I always like when the silly and funny things happen. Yeah. I'm pretty good at covering those things. Yeah. I think a lot of my favorite moments for this year obviously haven't happened yet, so I'm excited for you to get to those. I am too. Uh, you know, I, you say that it's one of your more favorite books, so... It is either my favorite or my second favorite, and the third is either my favorite or my second favorite. They switch around. Depending on the time of year and when you read them. Yeah. And next up, you're going to be reading, hopefully, another 250 pages for next week. Yeah, we're aiming for around 240 to 250 pages. Yeah. yeah. So, that'll be good. What I've been reading has deviated from the plan that I had last week, and that's partially because you got sick with a stomach bug, and then I've been stuck at home since then, so I couldn't really read what I was planning on reading, because you take up a lot of my time. Well, I'm sick particularly, I'm just 
you know, as every man a little bit. Needy and whiny. Yeah. Mm. But I did read the first book I wanted to read, which is an arc that I got from NetGalley called You Have a Match by Emma Lord. I rated it 3.75 stars. It's a summary book about a girl taking a DNA test with her friend who was adopted because he wanted to find out if he had any family out there. But instead, she's the one who finds a secret sister. And they sort of scheme to try to spend some time together over the summer at this camp in order to get to the bottom of this family secret. So, like, parent trap. Uh, now like that you twins. said it, I can't unsee it, but no. Similar-ish. No. No? It's different. Okay. But I really enjoyed it. For me, rating any book that is romance or contemporary or thriller, you have to do a lot to get over four stars from me. Simply because, for me, I read so much fantasy and sci-fi that if you don't have to deal with world building, you're automatically a four star or below. So... In this, it's contemporary, it's happening in our world, you don't have to do any world building. You don't have to create a new magic system or society or land or whatever. So that automatically takes all of the contemporary genre down to a four for me. And then this one I had a couple of problems with just with pacing more than anything else. I felt like a lot of the things that deserved more time weren't getting it and a lot of the things that I didn't think were necessarily so impactful got way more time than I thought they deserved. But even then it's 3.75 for a contemporary from me of all people. Like it's a really good book. I really enjoy it. It comes out in January on the 5th I believe. Is available for pre-order now and I think everyone should read it. I think it's a really good contemporary romance. Obviously, the romance doesn't happen between the siblings. It happens between her and someone at the camp. But it's a little side story compared to the rest of the novel. And then I also read Roommating by Noelle Adams and Samantha Chase. I gave that two stars. It was a free book from the book group that I'm part of on Facebook. And honestly... I thought it would be similar to Christina Lauren's roommate book. I don't remember what it's called. Flatshare, I think. But it just wasn't. For this one, a girl comes back from college. She just got her MBA. And she's going to work for her father's company until he's ready to retire. And then he's going to pass it down to her. But he's added the stipulation that she has to A, have a business partner and B, live with the business partner for six months to prove that they can get along together before he's willing to give her half of the company. So to a degree, I like that because you have built in drama because she knows this guy and she has a bad history with this guy. But then just everything outside of the premise of the story was bad and I didn't like it. I thought that for all this betrayal she felt for something he did in the past and all this guilt she was supposed to feel for having feelings for him it just wasn't there like it happened in the past and then you cut to this book and she just gets over it in two seconds so they can have sexy times or whatever and I'm just not there for that I think if the romance had been done the right way the sex scenes were done also in a decent way but it was just two decent sex scenes and some plot here and there to make it happen and I wasn't there for that yeah I think in the right hands that premise could do a lot for me in a book but it wasn't in the right hands gotcha wrong person at the wheel 
What I'm reading next is that book that I dropped off my TBR for last week is The Candle in the Flame by Nafisa Azad. It was not what I wanted to read while I was helping take care of you while you were sick. So it's a YA fantasy with gin and it's an Eastern fantasy. It's a desert fantasy. And it's supposed to be about this girl who survives this war with her adopted sister. And basically the only people that survive are them, an old lady, and the Jinn warriors that were all fighting in the war. So they sort of have to figure out how they fit into this society as adults now. And that's about as far as I've gotten with the plot. At this point, I'm only 60 pages in. So we'll see if I like it. So far, I'm not a big fan of the writing style. Hopefully that changes. I was going to say, you seemed pretty excited about that book originally. I was originally very excited because I'm loving Eastern desert fantasies right now. And then this one is just, the writing's not there for me so far. But I'm less than 100 pages in, so we'll see. And then the second book I want to read this week is The Code for Love and Heartbreak. I got an arc of this on NetGalley that I wasn't expecting to get it, but I got it. So I'm very excited to get to it. It's basically a retelling of Emma by Jane Austen about a girl who's really good at math, but is very bad at dealing with people. The interpersonal stuff just doesn't work for her. And so she is going to basically take all of her relationship advice from math and figure out how to deal with people that way. That's never a good comparison, usually. Like, she, math and people don't normally it, connect too much. It's a new project she's working on called The Code for Love, a matchmaking app that goes beyond swiping and goes into calculating compatibility and stuff. Yeah. So it should be cute. It's a YA romance. And that's what I read this past week. And that's what I'm going to be reading next week, a bunch of contemporary and romance and stuff. With kind one of a fantasy weird choice for in. the summertime, you know. I mean, kids are going back to school right now, so... I guess. It makes sense. But I think that's all I have for the books. We had a pretty long tag in this one, so this was a pretty long episode. because episode. Of it. But make sure you tune in next week to hear more about what we feel about the Harry Potter and all the book news. Yeah, um, we appreciate you guys stopping by. I'm definitely excited to continue to talk about Harry Potter because, again, I've read a little ahead of what we talked about today. So there's some things I'd like to talk about. Yeah, next week, for sure. But we appreciate you stopping in and giving us a listen. We'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.